Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, episode 269. This week, we're talking with Keith Giles about his journey and a church that gave all its money away to the poor. Caring for the poor was in the DNA of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, this is what the early Christians did with their money. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for being here and welcome to the show. We believe that every missionary and church planner deserves to be heard and loved and that every believer deserves the opportunity to participate in what God's doing. I do want to mention that I also edit and produce other podcasts, for example, From the Forefront by my friend Scott McClelland. If you'd like to find that, you can find it at fromtheforefront.com. And if you're looking for help with your podcast production, send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. I have something that I haven't done before, at least I haven't done for quite some time, a little bit of a fun, lighthearted conversation going on on Facebook. I'd love to have you join in with this. You'll find a link in the show notes, and all I'm going to ask you to do is click that link or join us on facebook.com slash engagingmissions and answer this simple question. Who's your favorite Bible character and why? Love to know a little bit more about that because it helps me get to know you better and helps us to have a little bit of fun. I will have for you a personal update at the very end of this episode. It's going to be after everything. Just kind of want to let you know a little bit about what's going on. Before we get into our featured segment, I'd like to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, Love Never Fails International. Love Never Fails International is a Christian organization on a mission to break poverty over the children of India through community outreach centers, education, feeding, clothes, health care, mentorship, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you have a desire for missions but find yourself in a place where you're unable to go? Child sponsorship is a way to have a significant impact without ever having to leave the country. When you sponsor a child, you will provide a plethora of resources for children in need. Signing up is easy. First, select a child. Second, commit to $39 a month. And third, grow with your child feeling more fulfilled in life. There is no long-term commitment and you can cancel at any time. Would you pray today about sponsoring a child in India with Love Never Fails International and then help that child? If you'd like more information about what God's doing, or if you're ready to sponsor a child, head on over to engagingmissions.com slash love and click on Sponsor a Child. One more time, huge thank you to Love Never Fails International for sponsoring the Engaging Missions show. All right, today we have with us Keith Giles. He's a best-selling author, a blogger, and a speaker. He's been a vocational minister and then left that about 11 years ago to start a house church where they quite literally gave the offering away to the poor. He's written quite a number of books, including Jesus Untangled and Jesus Unveiled. You can find him at keithgiles.com, among other places, and you'll find links for those as well as ways to connect with him in the episode notes. Keith, welcome to the show. Brian, thank you so much. Um, 
what uh, what an honor to be on your podcast and um, excited to have a conversation. And, and apparently you and I have a lot of mutual friends. So that's actually even more fun. Yeah, that was that was a real surprise when I started realizing how many connections we had with with Richard and with Lori and Ken and all that stuff. I'll I'll leave that for another time because most people listening <laughs> won't know those people. But but it's but it's odd that we, uh, we have so many close friends. These are not just acquaintances of mine. I've no. known these people for years and you probably have known them as well. And we, we've never met each other. So yeah. it's kind of funny. Yeah, it really was. So as we get started, I'd like to kind of set the stage a little bit because I like to focus a little bit on origin and transition points and kind of understand how God's worked in in your life and then see what that's taught you so that can overflow into our lives. And I'm interested a little bit because I know that you spent some time in vocational ministry and then transitioned out of that. And I'm wondering, how did you got, how did God lead you into and then out of that season of vocational ministry? So I spent most of my most of my life from junior high through college in El Paso, Texas. Okay, that's really where my family and I got connected to a Southern Baptist church. There, we really um, got really plugged in there. I kind of so I went through junior high, high school ministry there, youth ministry, and then you know when I went to college, I got involved with the Baptist Student Union on campus. Met my wife Wendy through that as well, and right about the time, and so I was volunteering at the church I was a part of. I ended up becoming, I got licensed and ordained through the Southern Baptist denomination right about the time I graduated college, went on staff at that church as a, initially as a music pastor. And then I was with them for several years. And then I transitioned to a different church in El Paso, another Baptist church in El Paso doing music and youth ministry. Wow. And did that for several years. And then we moved to California, uh, Southern California. And, um, at that point, we sort of, my wife and I decided we weren't sure we were Southern Baptists. So it was sort of like our parents, you know, were Southern Baptists, and that's why we grew up in that. But we okay. weren't sure now that we were adults and we were on our own and we were away from that influence. We just started looking around and we got involved with vineyard churches and uh, in Southern California. I ended up working for a vineyard music group, which is their worship company, mm. uh, the record company. But then we also started working and, and with children's ministry there. We Some friends of ours were planting a church, and we ended up becoming children's pastors and compassion ministry pastors uh, at that church. Did that for several years. And that's at the point that God started calling my wife and I to leave, to step away from that quote-unquote traditional church sort mm-hmm. of ministry that I'd been on staff at you know, and been doing that for years off and on and to start a church that would give away 100% of the offering to the poor in the community. And that was the beginning of really our house church adventures. So I, I'm really intrigued by the the giving 100% away to the poor, in particular because I'm, I'm interested in knowing how God brought that up to you and then how God guided you into and in, into that transition and what that looked like. Yeah, so it's interesting. I think the first phase of that was being a part, being at that church, that vineyard church that we had helped to plant with some friends of ours. We had never been a part of a church plant like that before from scratch, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and that was exciting. It was more exciting than just filling a role at a church where it's like, it's an existing church and they just want you to be the youth pastor or the associate pastor or whatever. This was like, wow, we're starting from scratch with friends of ours. We're, you know, this is brand new and uh, it was great. And uh, so that was part of it. The other part of it was we were doing, in addition to children's ministry, we were doing compassion ministry, and that was ministry to the poor in the community. And it was it was through that ministry. I mean, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. So, it was, for example, 
this was a startup church. This was a brand new church, a portable church. Like we were setting okay. up and tearing down in a, in a junior high school gymnasium every Sunday. We were renting an office space for the staff, you know, and I had an office there with the other pastors. And through this church, I had an American Express gold card in the name of, in my, in the church's name, but you know, I was, I was the signer and I was given, I was deputized as the Compassion Ministries pastor that anyone that I met in my adventures, you know, trying to help people who are living in poverty there in Orange County. And we, we were helping people living in motels. So that was kind of where we were centering that ministry was uh, ministering to people living in motels there in Orange County and one particular motel. And anyway, I was, I was deputized and I was given absolute carte blanche. If I met someone who needed help and I determined there was a legitimate need, I could pull out that. And I did often pull out that American Express gold card. And I bought, I I paid rent for people. Mm. I bought groceries for people. I paid electric bills for people. I paid, I put gas in their car and I did this. I mean, hundreds of dollars, sometimes probably over a thousand a month, you know, and not once did any of my other pastors ever come to me and say, Keith, stop it. You're, you're spending too much on the poor. And I'll, and to their credit, I'll, I'll give them that. But that was such an amazing experience for myself and for my wife and I. So we were already feeling called in that direction. And in the process of that, we also felt like God was speaking to us about starting a church. And initially we just thought it was another church, maybe even another vineyard church that, yeah. that had, but had more of the values of caring for the poor and all that stuff. We were really feeling God calling us personally into that direction. But then here's what happened. I don't even know how I came across it because this was before the internet was really a big thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is like in the nineties, you know, <laughs> um, or maybe early 2000s, something like that. But um, and I came across this, this PDF article by a guy named Ray Mayhew. Mm-hmm. And it was a little 30-page PDF article, and the title was Embezzlement, the Corporate Sin of American Christianity. And and uh, it's a radical title, and it was a pretty radical article. And what it really was, all I mean, all it really was was a look at starting with the book of Acts and going through the first century, second century history of the early Christian church and how caring for the poor was in the DNA of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, this is what the early Christians did with their money. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they, they, you know, it even tells us in, in, uh, in the gospels or in the, in the new Testament and in the book of Acts that, you know, they would collect their, everyone gave their money and they and laid it at the apostles feet for what, for giving to distributing for, to care for the orphan and the widow among them. And so, wow, we were, we really got a vision for that and an excitement about that. And we just had this, we really felt like God was saying to us that this church he was calling us to start would be a church like that, that gave away a hundred percent of the offering to the poor in the community. And we, we had a very strong conviction that that meant we wouldn't, none of that money would go to salaries like staff or me. <laughs> uh, wouldn't go to even buy donuts or coffee or sound systems or even to rent, you know, a gymnasium. And so we were really energized and excited about that vision. I'll be honest. I couldn't wait to tell people when they asked me about my church, what church do you go to? I couldn't wait to say, Oh, our church we give away all the offering to the poor in the community. We don't keep even a penny for ourselves mm. just so I could see their face. I mean, it, I was so excited about that. But then the practicality of it was sort of like, well, that's a great vision. And we were convinced of it. But how do you do that? Right. Like, I got to pay my I got to pay my bills. I got I had two little boys at the time. What? How am I going to pull that off? And it, it really did take a couple of days of my wife and I praying about it and talking about it. And I just remember one night she looked at me and said, after we after we had prayed about it for a while, she looked at me and said, I think this is a house church. And honestly, I thought that's the dumbest thing I'd ever heard in my life. Because who does that? I didn't know anybody. I've never been to a house church. Who does that, right? No one does that. 
but she was serious. And so because she was so serious, I, I thought, well, okay. And we took that leap, we took that step. And uh, yeah, that was 11 years ago. And it was the best thing I've ever done with the church on it. It was just phenomenal. Yeah, that that's, that's pretty cool. I, I'm really intrigued by the the stories that you were telling about giving away the money and then specifically that church. And And I would suspect like me, there are probably some people who have questions in their mind about how that works, not just from a practicality standpoint, but also from a responsibility. A, a little bit about me, I did spend some time at our church as the administrator for our benevolence ministry. And so I saw firsthand what can happen when giving enables destructive behaviors. Yep. How how were you able to to do that in a way that really did bring life to those situations? Right. A great, great question. We definitely, um, both being a part of this house church that was doing these kinds of things, uh, ministering and working with the poor in the community uh, so closely, but also primarily through this motel uh, that we were serving at, which we did for actually 15 years because we did it longer than we did house church. We were doing it at this other church first. And then when we started the house church, we continued that ministry through our house church. And um, you're right. So we learned a lot. I mean, I, I made a lot of mistakes. I got burned a lot. A couple of times for sure, but you learn things through that process. So you're right. So uh, we started to develop some sort of policies about like, you know, when do we help? How do we help? If someone you do not know, this is the thing. So our goal was to always to minister to people we were in relationship with. These okay. are people we knew them. We knew their kids, their kids played with our kids. We spent time with them. We knew them, their struggle and everything. And so that's, that was our preference. That was our priority was ministering to people we were in a relationship with who were living in poverty. But of course, in the process of doing that, some some guy you never saw in your life before, some woman you never saw in your life before comes up to you and says, oh, Pastor Keith. Yeah. And then they tell you this horrible story, which may or may not be true. Maybe right. some of it's true, maybe not. Maybe none of it's true. You don't know. And they need help. And usually it's a lot of money, several hundred dollars, and they need cash. Well, first of all, we just learned, again, the hard way. You don't give cash. We never give cash to anybody. But- for example, if you said, I need, I can't pay my rent this month, again, depending. And it, so it wasn't a hard and fast policy. It was very much in the moment, just discerning, okay, you know, God, what do you, should we do this? Should we not do this? You make a judgment call. And, and, and if you do feel like you should help them, okay, you go, you go in. So I personally walk into the manager at the motel. I say it's room number, whatever. I'd like to pay so many days rent. I pay the card and it's only for that amount of time. And then that's it. But then again, we always treated that first time thing. If that was the first time I've ever, ever seen this person, ever helped this person out in whatever capacity. But that's just, I mean, if nothing else, that's in other words, that's my foot in the door. That's my, that's my opportunity to now talk to them, to hear their story, to minister to them, to get to know them, right? To find out how much of, of their story is true, right? And if they're, now if they're resisting that, they don't want to be known. They don't want me to look too deeply into their story because they, they're afraid I'm going to find out it's not true. Yeah. Well, there's my red flag right there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think I, I, that's what I thought. But if they're open, they're like, oh, yeah. And they're anyway. So, again, our goal was to, to be in relationship. And so we would use that initial that initial assistance as a way to begin, hopefully, a longer term relationship with them where we could serve them in a, in a better, you know, in a more long term capacity. So yeah, that's just that's just something yeah. that we try to do. And there's of course all kinds of stuff we could talk about when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah. So when you then transition to a house church, a much smaller church community, 
how did that work in terms of enfranchising the church body, every believer in that vision and and living that out? Yeah, that was pretty exciting. And you would think, I mean, we weren't that big. You know, our house church, I mean, at its height, we probably had 25, 30 people, which to me was way too many. That was too big. To me, like 10 to 12, maybe 15 is good. But, you know, it kind of fluctuated over the 11 years. But yeah, even at our height of like 25, 30 people, which is still only probably four or five families, right, with children. Mm-hmm. So you would think we wouldn't have much in the, in the terms of resource. But I mean, I mean, we started, we kept track of it, obviously, because we wanted transparency. Everybody knew exactly how much money went into the basket. And they knew they had every, we had every receipt for everything we ever did and who it, you know, the date, the time and who it went to and what was it for. And so anybody could at any moment could just look at it and know where the money was going. That was our, that was one of our high values. But, and, but since I was t- keeping track of it, I mean, there were thousands of dollars. We, we were able, I think in the first year it was like 6,000 a year. The second year was like 8,000. By the third year, it was close to 10 or maybe it was over 10. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we're just a few people. Yeah. Right. And, and look, look at how the, the resource were able to help. And, but part of it was this beautiful thing that happens when people can see that every dime they put in that basket goes to people they can see and they know their names and they know what their struggles are, right? They're in a connection and relationship with these people. Mm-hmm. Then they truly become hilarious givers because that's exciting to see, oh my gosh, look what we did. We were able to help this person pay their rent. We were able to help the single mom, you know, change the oil in their car and buy, buy her kids some, a birthday present or whatever, you know, like we were connected and we we could see exactly where our offering was going, which by the way, as someone who's been on staff at, a, at traditional churches before, the average person does not see where most of that money goes. And I think if they did, they'd probably be shocked uh, where some of the money goes. I, I like that. And then being able to see that, the impact that it was making, what did that do to the, the faith and the obedience of the people who were part of the church? Well, it was actually amazing. It really was. I mean, because a lot, of, I'll be frank, you know, a lot of the times the people, so, I mean, here's the thing. Some of the people that came to our house church came because they shared that vision that we, that my wife and I had uh, about giving offering to the poor in the community. But some people came just because they wanted house church. Hmm. And then when they got to us, then they learned, oh, you do what? Oh, okay. So they didn't come, not everybody who came shared that initially, that same conviction. Over time, though, some of them got their feet wet and kind of joined us and came with us when we would go to the motel and would do these kind of things. We did bounce houses for the kids and puppet shows and hot dogs and, you know, we started giving away free groceries every month and things like that. And so in addition to the people that we were in relationship with and helping them whenever we could. And so, yeah, we saw, definitely saw transformation. Here's the thing. Here's the beautiful thing about this. Anybody, anytime anybody does this kind of ministry where I call it the great reversal, because you think in the beginning, this was what I thought. You start this and you think, okay, I'm the one with resource. I've got, I've got money. I've got a job. I've got, you know, I've, I've got resources. Those people over there do not. So I'm the one who's going to come to them. I'm going to bless their socks off and I'm going to bring them the gospel and they are going to be radically transformed as a result. And that might be true, but, but here's something that's actually more true than that. And it's this, again, this reversal that you don't expect. Here's what really happens. You do that, but while you're doing that, you know, you think you are, you've got the resource and you're the one ministering to them and, and, you're, and, and uh, the Holy Spirit's going to transform them through your giving and your ministry. No, what's really going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to transform you hmm. and change your heart 
in ways you did not expect were going to happen through those people that you are ministering to. Like the Holy Spirit is is ministering to you as you are helping them with resources. Like I did not expect that. I did not expect to be more blessed by them than, than, than I could ever bless them right? With my resources. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty amazing thing. And so we saw that, I mean, we experienced it for ourselves. We saw other people experiencing that as well. And it was just a really beautiful thing. Do you have one of those experiences that you'd be comfortable sharing with us that happened to you? Um, yeah, there's one, oh, there's, oh, there's several, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> one, I think one of the first ones, this is one of the first time early on. So it was early on in our, in our ministry there. We had, uh, with the help of the Orange County Rescue Mission, they had, like, you know, uh, they encouraged us to go door to door in this motel, knock on the doors and find out if anybody wanted to receive, like, the, like a, two weeks later, like a basket, a box. I'm sorry. It was like a box of canned food that was going to be donated. And we basically, they just wanted to know how many, get a count of how many rooms need boxes of food, of canned food. So we had did that. And then we had like, you know, 40 boxes or something. And they, and the rescue mission pulled up in the parking lot with a truck. Two weeks later, our team volunteers, we show up. We got a list of room numbers. We're going door to door, knocking on the doors, passing out these boxes of food that were donated and praying for them. Can we pray for you? You know, kind of ministering to them and that kind of thing. So we're doing that. And we knock on the door and this lady, her name is Dorothy. And I knew her because we had already been there for a while. So I knew Dorothy. She was an older woman, like in her seventies, maybe, maybe early eighties. She had a really bad, her leg was like almost, it was really infected. It looked really bad it was, mm. and she could barely walk and she, she had no health care. And so there was a lot of issues with that. Anyway, so we knock on the door. She opens the door, you know, oh, thank you so much. She opened her pantry. Now, this is in a motel room, people living in motel rooms. I'm trying to put, wrap your mind around like a Motel mm-hmm. 6, but she's got this little pantry there. She opens the pantry, and I'm kidding you, it, there is not a thing in that pantry. It is dead empty. There is nothing, no food in there. And we, and so she opens the box, and she starts putting the cans of food in this absolutely empty pantry, right? Mm. And as she's doing that, uh, another woman just walking by, a younger woman walking by in the hallway, sees what we're doing, grabs me and says, oh my gosh, are you guys passing out food? Uh, you know, I, I've got two little kids and and, we're, we're, and my, my check hasn't come yet and we don't have anything to eat. Can you can you give us any, can I get some, a box of, of some food? You know, and I'm thinking, well, no, I can't because all these boxes are spoken for, right? They're all assigned mm-hmm. to people that have signed up for them two weeks ago. And I'm telling her that, I'm saying, oh, I'm so sorry. And as I'm telling her that, Dorothy says, and this, it was so beautiful. Dorothy says, oh, honey, you know, I don't really like green beans. I don't really like corn. And she starts out of her basket giving this woman this food that Dorothy needs. I know she needs it, right? And it was such an instant, not a moment's hesitation. Like Dorothy, Dorothy did not, she did not have a clenched hand at all. She was so willing to instantly give away something I'd only given it to her a few seconds ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> that she needed. Yeah. And and I'm telling you, man, I mean, it's things like that. Like I learned about generosity from people who had nothing, hmm. you know? And that's the kind of stuff that that we encountered over and over again by ministering to people at this motel. It was just a beautiful thing. I mean, I saw people forgive things that I thought I could never forgive that, but they would just instantly forgive. It's just beautiful. Wow. I mean, amazing, amazing things. And it's by being in relationship with people like that and sort of being the hands and feet of Jesus to to people that, by the way, Jesus says, when you minister to them, you're doing it to me. So mm-hmm. I'm being Jesus to them, but they're being Jesus to me. And it is, it's this, I can't explain it, but it's a beautiful experience. 
Yeah. I, 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 I'm kind of reeling right here trying to think of how to, how to put my thoughts together because there's so many things firing at once. Just <laughs> so, so much depth in that answer. Yeah. One of the things that you referenced was this, the, the depth of relationship. And I just kind of have this burning question out there. You left vocational ministry to do this. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's the kind of separation that's required in order to develop this kind of relationship and this kind of enfranchising with the the church body? Well, you know, but I'll be honest, Brian. I don't know that it's required. I, I know in my experience it, it it was. I mean, in my experience, okay. it helped. Although, like I said, when I was on staff at this other church, they were hiring me to do this job. Although my conviction at the time was no one should be hired to do this job. We all should be doing it. Why are we all doing this, right? I, I should yeah. work myself out of a job. Like you should all look around and say, why are we paying Keith to do this? Because every, everybody's doing it. That, that was what, that's what I couldn't uh, wrap my mind around. I just felt like everybody should be doing this. But I do have a sense that when I, when I stepped away from full, quote unquote, full-time ministry of being on staff at a church and started doing this, like, so I had a day job. I had a, I had a regular job as a copywriter in a marketing department. That's, that was my job. That's how I paid, you know, took care of my own family. I just got a real job like everybody else. And yet the irony for me was I entered full-time ministry when I did that because full-time ministry was every second of my, of my life, every day of my life. I was in ministry when I was at work and I was in ministry when I came home. I was in ministry when we went to the motel. I was in ministry, when I went to the grocery store. I was in ministry no matter where I was. And like, it just completely shifted my perspective. Full-time ministry wasn't Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, you know, when I was on, on doing church stuff. But that's what I used to call for full-time ministry, right? It's like all of a sudden yeah. when I left that and I and I did this other thing, I realized, oh no, this is full-time ministry because it just became my entire life. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was so much better. So you, you've been part of larger churches. You've been part of a, a sort of a traditional church plant with mm-hmm. uh, the vineyard, I think, yep. is what you said. And then also at least one house church. I would imagine the challenges are different, just like families of different sizes have different challenges. D- does it ever get messy? Oh, look, (laughs) what a question. Let me tell you, house church is messy. And I don't care what kind of house church it is. It's just, it is, it's chaos. You better be used to, you better, you better be comfortable with messy and chaotic because yes, every house church I've ever been a part of has been a little bit of chaos. It's sort of like this. Here's how I describe it. If you have, take a family, right? Just one, or let's say two families, right? Mm -hmm. At the same two families. So the Smiths and the Johnsons and the Smiths and the Johnsons at a wedding, everybody behaves a certain way. The kids sit down, shut up, don't make noise, be quiet, you know, and we follow this liturgy. We all, you know, and we go through this certain thing. There's a decorum. There's a way things are supposed to be. That's, yeah. that's, the, that's sort of traditional church. But take the Smiths and the Johnsons on like, say, Thanksgiving or a birthday party. Oh, the kids are running around playing, screaming, the TV's on, you know, people talking, having conversations, different corner of the room, blah, blah, blah. That's house church. It's more like that. It's closer to a family just getting together and being, now it's not always that bad. I mean, I don't want to exaggerate it. It's not like absolute chaos all the time. Um, There is some structure to it, but it's closer to that than it is to like a wedding. Yeah. Right. It's more, it's more like a a family gathering, like a, a, a birthday party or, you know, a Thanksgiving dinner or something like that. Okay. Yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing that and kind of indulging some of my, my crazy ideas. Cause <laughs> I mean, I have friends on sort of both sides of the aisle, if you will. Yeah. You know, Richard Jacobson. Yeah. Know, so I, yeah. He's, he's pretty acquainted. Yeah. And, and Steve Sims has been on the show. So I've had a number oh, of yeah. great yeah, conversations. I know Steve. I know Steve. 
and, and we've talked about some of the messiness on both sides. And one of the things I've, I've kind of wondered just on a personal level, because I've seen people come together and want to have church or house church or whatever. And it, it ends up just being coffee time or something like that. How do you keep Jesus at the center of it without making a person in control? Beautiful question, because you're right. Uh, I've also visited a lot of house churches that um, are, are either things I would not call house church. It's not, 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 doesn't match my definition of what I expect <laughs> is, is supposed to happen. Uh, they're all different, whether, you know, good or bad. Uh, but here's to answer your question. What do you do to make sure Jesus is the focus? Here's what we started doing. And I'll be honest, we didn't do this in the beginning when we started 11 years ago. It really wasn't maybe the last three to four years that we were together. This is what we started doing. And this is the key, man. This is, So now if I ever, and we've actually started, we moved to Idaho um, about a year, almost a year ago. And we, and we, we, we've now implemented this as this is the way it's always going to be from now on. Whenever I do another house church, it's always going to be like this. So here's what we do to keep Jesus the center. We start the meeting and we, of course, we explain this to everybody. This is how we're going to begin. We, we begin with silence. And what that silence is for is not to invite the Holy Spirit to come or to invite Jesus to come. It's because he's already there. Right. He's always been there. So, but what weird is for us, it's for us to orient ourselves to recognize that that Christ is in the room and that he always has been, right? It's just more to like for us to get used to his presence. And so what we encourage people to do is to behave the way you would honestly behave if Jesus physically opened the front door, walked in and stood in the middle of this room right now. I I promise you, you wouldn't turn and talk to me about politics or about some (laughs) book you read, right? What would we all be doing? Every single one of us would be going, Jesus, oh my gosh, he's here. Exactly. So, so here's what we do. So we start with this, this moment of silence. It's again, just to sort of recognize that, that, that Christ is there. And then what we encourage people to do is if you talk, if you speak at all, don't talk to me, don't talk to each other, talk to Jesus, say, say what you would say to Jesus. So if you talk, talk to Jesus. If you want to, if you feel like reading a scripture, read a scripture about Jesus, but read it to Jesus. If we sing a song, we're going to sing it directly to Jesus. Because why? He's in this room right now. So it orients us, It all, all together, it orients us to, we are all right now submitting to the actual presence of Jesus in the room right now. And that could, and, and, and that would last anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes, sometimes half an hour of just, you know, kind of Jesus time, Jesus-centered, Jesus-focused time. And it's the best thing ever. Because everything that comes after that is so much better because we have just gone through this exercise of recognizing that Jesus is there mm. and we've, we've all together submitted to Jesus and we, and we are letting Jesus be the leader, not me and not anybody else. The other thing that we do is we just, we focus on Christ. So I'm um, very, I strongly believe like when Paul says in Galatians, you know, he says, uh, he says, you know, now when we come together, talking about the body of mm-hmm. Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, right? All these things. Right. He goes, he says, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. And, and I mean, and I believe that our unity is in Christ. So when, if, as long as Christ is the center of, of our focus of what we talk about, what we sing about, what we, what we're, what we're interested in, what we're going to spend our time focused on. If, if Christ is the center, we have unity. Hmm. The minute we make anything else, the center Nope, no more unity because now we're talking. Now we're going to talk about 
differences of doctrine, differences of opinion. And, and by the way, we are not on the same page there and there'll be all kinds of stuff. <laughs> so what I didn't tell you is this, our, our house church has had no statement of faith other than this. Do you love Jesus? And are you willing to spend four hours in the room with people who also love Jesus and are interested in following him in their real life? And if that's you, and that sounds like fun to you, you're welcome. The door's open that there's a chair for you. And so because that was such a low bar for entry for anybody that wanted to join us, it meant that we had Christians who, and, and this was, I always say it on paper, this, our church, our house church should not work because they were Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, Charismatics, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Pentecostals, people who are from the Brethren movement. I mean, just all over the place. And you would think, man, you put those people in a room in 10 seconds, you're going to have an argument. Yes, you will. If you just talk about whatever you feel like talking about and you start talking about theology or whatever. Yes, you will. But we didn't. And for 11 years, we didn't. We all, all those different Christians all found unity in the one thing that made us one, which was Christ. And by keeping our focus on Christ, we learned to love each other and to love Christ and to focus on him and to grow together and encourage one another to follow him in our real life. And it was awesome. Again, it was the best thing I've ever done. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I love that story. Again, just lots of things firing in my head. I I need to walk away from being my personal counseling (laughs) session right now because I want to make sure that we're serving our listeners and not just me as as well. I am wondering though about that because it is possible for there to be division and then for God to bring reconciliation. Have you seen God bring that kind of reconciliation in a way that you could share with us? Yeah. I mean, the beautiful thing really is, I mean, we didn't have a whole ton of division over things. Like people didn't really argue over theology. We yeah. didn't, they didn't really, so we didn't really see a lot of that. I mean, once in a while, we might have someone who would visit who maybe just didn't get it, even though usually I would talk to them ahead of time and explain to them what we're doing, what we're not doing, you know, what it is, what it isn't, you know, but um, it's one of these things where most people just opted out. Like if they just came and they would, they would just determine for themselves. Yeah, this isn't, you know, this isn't scratching my itch and that's okay. Um, But no, I don't, I mean, I know what you're saying. Um, I'm trying to think of situations. I mean, it's, you know, unfortunately we did have a couple of times and it wasn't very, very often, but we had a couple of times where someone would get really upset about a pet doctrine or issue. Mm. And, and usually what they were upset about was that we weren't going to make the entire meeting centered around this, whatever this thing was that they felt like was of supreme importance. And, you know, it's sort of like, well, even if I agree with you on that issue, I don't want to make that issue the, the center of our of our gathering. Christ is always going to be the center of the gathering. And so this other thing that you think is so important, you're just going to have to keep it in your back pocket. That That's just not something we're going to focus on. And, and as long as they could do that, we were fine. But if, if, if they were like, no, it has to be this and we all have to agree on that and you have to you have to basically follow me down this road. Well, we're not going to this is not who we are. We've never been this way. You know, we weren't this way when you joined us. <laughs> and I told you we weren't this way when, when you jumped in, you know, and so you're welcome to stay as long as you can leave that at the door. Yeah. And, but it's up to you. You're going to have to decide. You're going to have to determine that. But yeah, I, I didn't really, I mean, really, we didn't have a lot of like internal strife or internal tensions between people and that kind of a thing, which I, I guess is good. That's great. Uh, and actually, I'm, I'm hoping the answer to the, this next question is a simple no, but I am wondering... Have have you ever had to separate relationship with people? You understand what I'm getting at? Yeah. Well, um, I think I only once in 11 years, I only one time had to ask someone not to come back. So the deal was, this was a guy, someone, someone just brought this guy. Like literally they were coming that morning. They were riding the bus 
he was sitting next to them. They struck up a conversation. And I guess he was a Christian. And they were like, hey, I'm on my way to church. And he said, let me come with you. So she brought him. Uh, so he like, we're all like surprised. Who's this guy? Oh, it's some guy I met on the bus. Okay. Well, that's fine in itself. I don't, it doesn't really bother me. But there was just a weird vibe about him. I don't know other way, any other way to say it, except this, this is the closest thing I can explain. In fact, it happened. So it happened the first time I met him and I was like, eh, well, maybe whatever, maybe it's just me. But the second time it happened, he came and I was sitting, I was, so we were meeting in my house and I was sitting in my den and I was kind of looking down at my, at my notes or something. And he had walked in, but I didn't know, I didn't hear him walk in. So my wife, you know, let him in the front door and, you know, he started wandering back to the back of the house and where we met. And my head was down and I felt that weirdness, mm. that weird vibe yeah. before I even knew he was in the room. And then he said, hey, Keith. And I looked up and he was there. And that's when I said, ooh, that's weird. Now, even that isn't enough. I, I, didn't, I didn't ask him not to come back because of that. But the reason, so, but that was a factor. That was sort of like, why is that? It's weird. So, so then to add to that, he lied to me, flat out lied to me about something I asked him. Uh, he, in fact, he had asked, the first time he visited, he asked for money. Could you help me financially? And I said, okay, well, I'm just going to ask you some questions. And I said, I just need you to be honest with me. And I want to tell you up front, if you answer yes to any of these questions, I'm still going to help you. I'm going to tell you up front. I'm going to help you no matter how you answer this question. But I just want you to be honest with me. Do you have a drug addiction problem? Mm. And he said, no. Well, later on, I found out that he did because he was part of an AA meeting uh, at another church down the street. And I talked to that, he had mentioned that church. So I called that church, talked to that pastor. And he told me, oh yeah, he was, he's, he was a part of our, that's how we met him. He was part of our like 12 step program, recovery program we were doing. I'm like, oh, okay. So he lied to me about that. So that was the second thing. And then the third thing was, and this was sort of the third strike. He was getting a little too handsy with the children mm. in the group in, in a way that the parents were not comfortable with. Like, why is he always, you know, hanging out with my little girl or my little boy and, so they were, they were coming to me and saying, I'm not comfortable with this guy. And it's, you know, what's he doing? He's way too familiar with our children. So because of those three things, what I did was I just, I just spoke to him privately. And I said, there's some issues, especially about the thing about you lying with me, lying to me, um, that you do have some addiction issues, that you left this other program before, before you finished it. And in fact, so there's things that you're not, you haven't dealt with in your own life. And I said, until... I can work this out, that you and I can figure this out. I would really prefer you not to continue coming. So I didn't even say you can never come back. Mm -hmm. I didn't say, get out of here and never come back. Uh, really what I said was, let's just pause you coming and joining us on Sunday mornings until you and I can figure out what's, what's really going on here and find out something that works best for everybody. And then I thought he was going to punch me. I thought, this is where I get, <laughs> I get punched out because he, he came at me. Uh, luckily he didn't punch me, but he, that's the only one. That's the only situation that I ever had to kind of ask somebody, you know, Hey, let's at least take a step back here from fellowship until we can work something out. Wow. That, that's, I, I don't envy you being in that position, but I, I applaud your, your desire to walk that out. Well, I'm wondering is, as people are listening to this, some of them maybe have never heard of you before. And if they're not familiar with your work and they're wanting to learn more, is there a book or an article or something that you would point somebody to first to get connected with the body of work that you've created? Wow. 
That's an interesting way to phrase that question. Well, I mean, uh, there's lots of places you could go to look at different things. I mean, maybe uh, either my blog, which is just my name, KeithGiles.com, or there's a, uh, my publisher has a, has a couple of pages related to my books. The, the first book I published with them is Jesus Untangled. And so if you go to JesusUntangled.com, that's a page for the book, but the book also has a bio and there's a video and it kind of walks a little bit more. And then there's links off of that page to some other things that I do, like a podcast and I think there's a video interview with me that tells a bit more of the story of some things I've done. So that I think those two places would be the first two places to start. And then, of course, I'm on Facebook and Twitter if anybody wants to connect there. Okay. Yeah, definitely want to make sure that those are available because there's only so much we can cover here and there's so much more that's available out there. Yeah. One more question for you as we as we bring this to close. We'll... This will be published a few weeks after we record, but I'm wondering, is there a way that we as a, as a group can best pray for you? Oh, thank you. Yeah, Brian. Thank you. That's great. Well, I, I, here's the thing. I've always got a million things going at once, right? I'm, I have a new book. I, I just published this book, Jesus uh, Unveiled, hmm. like a month ago, but I have another book, uh, another brand new book I'm finishing up coming out in November. So, uh, and then I also, I'm also starting something. I, I'm not going to, since this is coming out. Pretty soon, I'm, I may not be able to announce the entire thing, but I am working on something right now that I'm really excited about. I feel like the spirit's really on it. It's an opportunity for a lot of a lot of Christians are going through deconstruction. They're deconstructing their faith, and and then through my podcast and through my blogs and my books, I'm encountering these kind of people. And uh, what I'm noticing is there's nothing for them. It's sort of like once they've deconstructed their faith, there's nothing to go. Now what? Like, where's the reconstruction part? What do I do with this? Mm-hmm. What about all these relationships that now uh, are also sort of damaged uh, as a result of my changing some things that I, I thought I believed that I don't believe anymore? And so uh, I feel like God showed me something uh, about, uh, so that's what I'm working on right now. That's the thing uh, that I guess I'd pray, uh, ask people to pray with me about as I'm putting that together. Um, I just want to be able to put something together that really does help people who have gone through something like that to find healing and to really find a, a solid foundation to rebuild their faith uh, and their relationships on. And uh, yeah, if, if you'd pray with me about that, if listeners would pray with me about that, uh, then that's something I can announce probably in another month or so. <laughs> a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll announce that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, and for those listening, I would like to encourage you to just do that right now. Go ahead and pause the recording and pray for mm-hmm. Keith and the work that he's doing. I say this every time, but if you're like me, there's a chance you're going to forget if you try and do it at night when you go to bed. So just do it mm-hmm. now while it's got while you've got a minute. We'll still be here when you get back. So I would encourage you to do that. In fact, that's more important than finishing this, this episode. Your prayers matter, and you can be part of what Keith is doing. Keith, I do want to say a huge thank you to you for making yourself available to do this, for going down those crazy bunny trails, and for sharing from your story and giving us the opportunity to hear what God's done in your life. Thank you so much. Brian, thank you. It's been an honor. And um, yeah, I'd love to talk again sometime. God bless. God bless. I'd like to say one more huge thank you to Keith Giles for being with us and also to you for joining us. Don't forget to connect with Love Never Fails International at engagingmissions.com slash love. And you'll find all of the resources that we talked about at engagingmissions.com slash Keith Giles. Or if you're listening in your favorite podcast app, you may be able to click or tap or swipe and get right there from your favorite podcast app. Make sure that you come back in a couple of weeks. We're going to be hearing from Brielle about some experiences that she had in Bible school and also 
also what she's doing to prepare for her missionary calling while she's in the in-between season. And we've got a number of other great conversations coming up over the next few weeks. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe to make sure that you don't miss any of those amazing stories. And if you found this valuable, please help us spread the word. You might be the person that God uses to create a connection or deepen a relationship or provide valuable resources as you sow into his kingdom. Thanks again one more time for being here. I really appreciate you, and I really look forward to connecting in a couple more weeks. So I wanted to share with you a little bit of what's going on. But first, I want to give credit where it's due. I got the idea to do this kind of bonus track from one of the other shows that I listen to. It's uh, from Mark Mason's show, Late Night Internet Marketing. And it's an interesting show. And after he finishes his shows, he'll have a little bit of silence like they used to do back in those records in the 80s and 90s where they would have sometimes minutes of silence and then there would be a bonus track that was sort of hidden at the end of the album or hidden at the end of the tape. So I wanted to do something like that for you because you made it all the way to the end. And I wanted to share with you some some personal stuff. This isn't bad stuff, just some quick updates. As I'm recording this, it's mid-September and I'm going to get this portion off to Gabby who writes the, the show notes. And so I wanted to make sure that I got this recorded, but it's going to be a couple of weeks before you hear this. Uh, I do want to mention that, and I've, I've shared this in the past, but I, I had somebody who joined the team. Her name is Claire, and she's doing some great work, uh, especially in areas of guest research. And she's also been a huge help in getting some of the content together for the show. She helped with some ad reads and some other stuff that's really just been very helpful because I've been a bit scattered. And so adding her to the mix has really been great. And I've it's really been in- incredible to me because I appreciate getting the additional perspective that these two ladies offer. Because as you may not be aware, I'm a guy and I'm not getting any younger. And so I appreciate getting some additional perspective from a variety of different people, and especially because I want to make sure that this is a show that's valuable for as many people as possible. And so I want to get those additional perspectives and get their input in as well. It's really been great to work with Claire and Gabby. So I just wanted to kind of share that with you. And also, uh, it's possible in the next few weeks, I'm going to be moving my studio. Right now, I'm recording in a little, well, it's a pretty nice walk-in closet that my dad helped me refurbish a couple of years ago when we moved into this house. It's, uh, I guess, about a four-by-four space, and we lined the walls with some acoustic tile, that ceiling tile stuff, and then I've got some moving blankets kind of piled around me. And it's it's really been a great space, but we wanted to make a change, and I was talking to my wife because my, my son right now is in the smallest bedroom of the house, and his sister, who's a couple of years older, has a larger room. And so we wanted to give him the opportunity to have a room that's about the same size as his sister's. So we, we talked to him. Actually, I talked to him after I talked to my wife because that seemed like the smartest move is to talk to her first. But we, we talked to him about swapping rooms. He's six years old right now, and he was really happy to think, oh, I might be able to have a room that's the same size as my sister's. And so he's thinking about things like what colors he wants to paint the walls. (laughs) We're thinking about how we might 
maybe point him away from dark red to something that's a little bit more comfortable, but we'll, we'll work through that part. He was also really happy that he was thinking that he was going to be able to be right next to the area where I work, which is the studio that I'm sitting in right now. I uh, did have to let him know that I was going to have to move the studio so he'd be able to have a closet. And also it doesn't really work for me to do recordings while he's trying to sleep. But we we talked to him about that, and that's something that he's thinking about doing. So in a couple of weeks or so, we will probably be moving him into a larger bedroom, and then we'll be moving the studio into another space. So as he's thinking about what colors he wants to paint the walls, I'm thinking about sound treatments and some things like that for the other room, and then also how we can best make it into a space that will serve as an office and a studio for me, as well as be convertible to a guest room so that when we have my parents or my wife's parents or people come over to visit. We have a space to put them. So we're kind of working through some of those details, but I'm looking forward to the challenge and I'll be giving updates over the next few weeks. If you like this kind of personal update, I'd love it if you'd let me know. I don't know if you're going to like this or not. I don't want it to be self-indulgent. I want to be able to create a connection. But at the same time, if this is something that you're interested in or you find valuable, let me know. Shoot me an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. I'd love to, have, I'd love to hear if you're interested in this kind of thing. Because if you're not, I'm not going to keep doing it. But if you are, I'd love to make it available. Because I think sometimes there can be a false relationship that's created when I only serve as the host and I don't little share a little bit about my life. And so I want to be as genuine as I can. And I'd love to be able to continue to do this kind of thing. But again, only if you find it valuable. So if you did feedback at engagingmissions.com, I'd love to hear from you. Even if you didn't like it, you're free to let me know that as well. It doesn't have to be an argument from silence. Just like to know if you like this kind of thing, feedback at engagingmissions.com. And really, I do look forward to connecting with you in the next couple of weeks. 